When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome back to the Rich Habits Podcast, a top five business podcast on Spotify. My name is Austin Hankwitz, and I'm joined by my co-host, Robert Croak. Robert is a seasoned entrepreneur in his 50s with more than 200 million in company exits under his belt, and I'm an entrepreneur in my late 20s with a background in finance and economics. Since quitting my full-time job in corporate finance a few years ago, I've built a seven-figure media business and actively advise some of the most well-known fintech companies around the world. Now, as the show name might suggest, every episode we talk about rich habits as they relate to business, finance, and mindset. However, we try and bring you two unique perspectives. One from an industry veteran, which is Robert, and the other myself, someone who's still young and in the process of building wealth and figuring it all out. Now, Robert, I'm really excited about this episode, so walk us through what we're going to be talking about today. In today's episode of the Rich Habits Podcast, we're going to be demystifying the alphabet soup of finance. Specifically, we're going to be breaking down the confusing acronyms us finance nerds use on a daily basis. After receiving countless questions about DCA, REIT, IRA, ETF, and other commonly used acronyms, we thought it was only right to dedicate an entire episode to defining and demystifying these terms. Our goal with this podcast is to always make personal finance and investing as approachable as possible. By breaking down these terms, we're hoping our listeners will feel more confident and secure in their own financial decisions, allowing them to build those rich habits we talk about all the time. So I heard DCA, REIT, IRA, ETF. I think this episode's not just going to be useful for the person just getting started and trying to figure this all out, but we'll also be sure to share our favorite ETFs, REITs, HYSAs, things the more experienced listener listening right now can get inspired by. So Robert, kick us off. Yes, we're going to start number one with dollar cost averaging. The term DCA is thrown around all the time and we're gonna break it down for you. This term is arguably the most important because it's the investment strategy we believe every single one of you should be implementing into your own portfolios. It's a verb and it's very simple. To dollar cost average means you're allocating a specific amount of money, for example, 50 or $100 a month, every month to be invested in the stocks and ETFs we talk about 
no matter what the price is at that current time. Yeah, by dollar cost averaging your 50 or $100 every month into the stock market, you're buying the top, the bottom, the middle, and everywhere in between. So by following this strategy, you'll be taking the emotion out of investing and be entirely focused on investing consistently. Remember, Robert and I always say it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. And the easiest way to invest and have that time in the market is to consistently do it through dollar cost averaging or a DCA strategy. Keeping on this sort of investing theme, our next acronym is ETF or Exchange Traded Fund. We use this acronym quite often here on the podcast. An exchange traded fund is simply a basket of stocks. This basket increases and decreases in value as the underlying stocks inside of the basket increase and decrease as well. The basket can be more heavily weighted towards certain stocks or maybe only invests into a certain type of stock. There are even thematic ETFs, which are baskets of stocks that all fall into one theme. For example, an ETF Robert really likes, AIQ, is an artificial intelligence-focused ETF. Their basket of stocks only include AI-related companies. ETFs are incredibly important for the average investor as they allow anyone the opportunity to own a diversified basket of stocks without having to go out and buy and pick the individual stocks itself, something that can become very expensive over time. I strongly suggest people don't go out and buy single stocks and invest until they have that base that we talk about of like 100K invested into diversified ETFs, something we talk about all the time. I just really want to see people have the base before they go out and start stock picking on their own. For example, one share of AIQ right now is $27. So if you compare that $27 investment over going out and purchasing all 93 stocks inside of that ETF we talk about, that could cost you tens of thousands of dollars. ETFs give investors exposure to diversified strategies we wholly believe in for a fraction of the cost. Couldn't agree more. ETFs are an incredibly powerful wealth building tool, and it allows the everyday investor like myself and Robert to be able to invest into all 500 names in the S&P 500 with just a couple hundred dollars or even less. Really, really good call out, and it's a really important acronym to understand. I just think it's so important for everyone to really understand that last concept because we deal with it every single day. I deal with hundreds of people a month that want to start investing, and they think the way to do that is to dive right into individual stocks, and they just don't realize they're never going to outperform unless they get extremely lucky or they're extremely gifted. They're just not going to outperform the VOOs or the QQQs or the AIQs of the world by individually picking stocks themselves. That's why we like to see that base created first. Robert, take us into the third acronym. Yes, R-E-I-T. We've all heard the term REIT, Real Estate Investment Trust. This is a great one. We always talk about REITs, so we're going to dive in. A REIT is a single company that owns, operates, or finances income-generating real estate. Think about it like this. REITs are essentially mutual funds. However, instead of people pooling their money together to buy stocks or bonds, they're pooling their money together to invest in income-producing real estate. By owning stocks and REITs, the average investor is now earning dividends, a.k.a. cash payments from the company, 
without having to actually buy, manage, or sell the properties themselves. This is why I love REITs. If you're looking for exposure to the real estate market and want to be truly passive, have this truly passive income, REITs are definitely the way to go. REITs also invest in most real estate property types. Think apartment buildings, cell phone towers, data centers, hotels, medical facilities, offices, warehouses, and even retail centers. If you want to invest in a broad variety of REITs, check out the ETF VNQ. It's Vanguard's real estate ETF, and you all now know what an ETF stands for and means. So there you go. All right, our next acronym is HYSA. HYSAs have become incredibly popular over the last several months with interest rates now above 5%. An HYSA, or High Yield Savings Account, is a savings account that has a high yield. By high yield, I mean they're paying you an interest rate that is categorized as quote-unquote high, which I guess is very subjective, but you can think of high as being something about 1% or so below the federal funds rate, which right now is about 5.5%. So, you know, a good high yield savings account is paying you over that 4.5% range. For example, Wealthfront has a high yield savings account paying 4.8%. So that's definitely a high yield savings account. Now, instead of parking your emergency fund inside of a checking account, earning essentially zero in interest, you can instead park the funds inside of an HYSA paying nearly 5%, allowing you to earn an extra $1,000 per year on your $20,000 emergency fund. Now, I'm not saying $1,000 is a life-changing amount of money. It's not going to make you a millionaire, but it's certainly better than a poke in the eye with a sharp stick as what my dad says. <laughs> yes. To keep in mind here with the high-yield savings, we're just giving you another strategy to get your money out of a traditional checking or savings account that's making close to zero and get it somewhere that's still obtainable and it's still safe but yet you're earning income from it. So like Austin said, it's not going to be game-changing money for anyone, but it's certainly better than going backwards and making nothing. Now, here's something important to consider. That $1,000 you earned in interest is subject to income tax at both state, local, and federal levels. So be sure to set aside a few hundred dollars so when Uncle Sam comes knocking next year, you'll have it set aside to pay those taxes. You'll receive some paperwork from Wealthfront or wherever you open the account that will let you know how to pay those taxes and add that additionally to your tax form. Now, speaking of earning interest income and keeping up with inflation and taxes, what's our fifth acronym? One of our favorite, the Treasury Bill, T-Bills. These aren't exactly an acronym, but it fits well within this episode given the high yield savings breakdown and that's T-bills, a.k.a. Treasury bills. These are U.S. debt securities that mature over a period of time, usually four weeks, six months, or a year. Think about it like this. Treasury bills are essentially IOUs issued by the U.S. government. They need to raise money to spend on infrastructure like bridges and roads, and they raise it by taking on debt. They get the cash up front from us, you call it $100, then after 12 months, they pay back the $100 plus the interest. Right now, that's about 5%, which is nice when there's uncertain economic times. And one thing to keep in mind with a treasury bill is there is no taxes on your gains 
for state and local. So this is a nice part of the strategy and why we love treasury bills. Yeah, it's it's a bit more nuanced than that, right? So for example, you're actually, you know, buying the T-bills with the interest already baked into the purchase price, but Robert is correct. Long story short, these are risk-free ways to earn interest on your money. And with public.com, you don't have to wait that six or 12 month holding period. You can just put money in, take money out anytime you'd like, and you will be earning interest on it throughout that time. And to Robert's point, you don't have to pay state or local taxes on the interest you earn. So no you know, setting aside money for Uncle Sam on the state and local level. You do, though, have to have to pay those federal taxes. So keep that in mind. Now, speaking of the feds, let's talk about a acronym or two that were very widely used in March and April of this year that people didn't really know about until the debacle of Silicon Valley Bank. We're talking about FDIC and SIPC. So these are essentially the government agencies that ensure your money is going to be there in case of insolvency at the bank or brokerage account. Remember everything that happened with Silicon Valley Bank earlier this year? FDIC, or the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, exists to ensure that every dollar up to 250000 you deposit into your local bank is insured in case the bank files for bankruptcy, a.k.a. Bankception, if you guys have seen the movie Inception. <laughs> now, this is the same deal with SIPC, you know, but for brokerage accounts, right? So SIPC, or Securities Investor Protection Corporation, ensures that $500,000 of your stocks and cash inside of your Fidelity or Vanguard or Public.com account are insured and will be recovered in case these brokerages file for bankruptcy or become insolvent for whatever reason, right? Your money is not gone. I just had to deal with this in an extreme fashion the other day. I had a couple reach out and they must have emailed me six times in the course of one day asking what to do because they were finally ready to invest and they were afraid to pull the trigger on their uh, brokerage account and put their money in um, after they, they figured out all the paperwork and were ready to go because they said that the money did not have FDIC coverage. And I had to explain to them that it had better coverage with SIPC coverage because of the higher dollar amount in their brokerage account. So this is so great that we're covering this today because people are just scared and they're also fearful of getting ripped off, which makes perfect sense in light of what has happened in the last couple of years in the finance world. So it was really nice to cover this on today's podcast. 100%, right? FDIC is the bank. SIPC is your investment account, and they're both insured, so get your money invested. Speaking of investing, let's talk about the last acronym, number seven, the IRA, the Individual Retirement Account. You guys hear me preach this to the mountaintops every single day, and we're going to break it down for you today. This is by far the most important acronym of the entire list, because if you understand how to use this acronym to your advantage, Retiring wealthy is inevitable. The IRA or individual retirement account is exactly what it sounds like. It's a retirement account tied to you, the individual. The retirement account is attached to your social security and has nothing to do with your employer. This is not a 401k. This is an individual retirement account. Very important distinction. Everyone is assigned an IRA assuming you have a social security number. You can claim your IRA by using any online brokerage you'd like. Simply create an account on Wealthfront or Vanguard, for example, 
then open the account through them. If you need any help, just use the customer service. They will walk you through it. It is very simple. It's like a bank account, so you'll need to provide your social security number, your address, and your other sensitive information, but it's okay. These accounts are awesome, and I think the IRA is one of the most important wealth-building tools known to mankind, and everyone listening, if you're over 18 years of age, you should have an IRA, a Roth IRA specifically. Once opened up, you'll now be able to deposit money from your checking account into your individual retirement account, your IRA. Once deposited, it's time to invest that money into anything you'd like. But as always, we recommend index funds like VOO and QQQ. You're only allowed to deposit right now up to $6,500 per year. So be sure to try your best to max that out every single year. By the way, these contribution limits tend to increase and will certainly increase over time. So always keep that in mind and do your best to max out that Roth IRA. These acronyms might seem intimidating at first, but hopefully we've done a good job of breaking them down into easy to understand terms with actionable insights along the way. We want all of you to take what you've learned today and apply it into your wealth building strategies Hence the name Rich Habits. What a great takeaway, Robert. Now, before we jump into our question and answer segment, let's take a moment to hear from our sponsors. The highs, the lows, the soaring spirits, and the gut punches. The stock market's volatility has been a good reminder of why we diversify our portfolios. New data from UBS shows private assets like fine art can be especially valuable when looking for low correlation, as they have historically moved independent of stocks. Bloomberg reports, as equities cratered last year, art prices increased along with the highest total sales, even for major auction houses. Now the art market has actually passed its pre-pandemic levels. But how can we take advantage of this? Tens of thousands of everyday investors already use today's sponsor, Masterworks, where you can invest without needing millions or even an art degree. Every painting Masterworks has sold to date has delivered a positive return to their investors, including net annualized returns of 10, 17, and even 35% all this year. Naturally, past performance is not a guarantee of future returns, and any investing involves risk, including loss of principal. However, Masterworks's 15th exit, a Cecily Brown piece, was just a couple weeks ago for an annualized net return of 77.3%. Our listeners get special access to skip the waitlist. Just head on down to the link in the description. It'll be right there. Or if you can't see it and you're watching this somewhere else, head over to masterworks.art forward slash rich habits. That's masterworks.art forward slash rich habits and to see important disclosures go to masterworks.com forward slash cd now before we jump into q a just want to share with you all i personally have three pieces that i've invested into on masterworks i've been using the platform actually since i was even before a content creator i was still working at a medicist i really believe in the company i've got hundreds of dollars invested with them i like the platform Two thumbs up for me. However, do your own diligence. Do what you got to do. Go check them out on the internet. But don't forget, if you want to skip the wait list, use the link in the description. 
All right, time for everyone's favorite segment of the podcast, question and answer. Don't forget, if you have a question to ask us, shoot us a direct message on Instagram at Rich Habits Podcast, and we'll definitely get back to it. And thank you, everyone, for your patience. We get about 300 DMs a week, and so it takes a long time for us to get back to people sometimes, but we always try to, so thanks for always being patient. Okay, first question is from Alyssa R. Alyssa says, my husband and I have an extra $2,000 per month that we're just piling into a high-yield savings account at the moment. We want to reallocate the money because we feel like we've got the emergency fund sort of covered. Should we reallocate the funds to my son's 529 account, invest it toward retirement, maybe pay down the house? What do we do? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Alyssa, I think this is a great question, and you covered your bases. In my opinion, I would invest towards retirement, and if you have a low interest rate on the mortgage on the house, I would not touch it. Contrary to what Dave Ramsey says, if you have a low interest rate, let's say 6% or below on your home, I would leave those payments go and start stockpiling your money towards retirement get that Roth IRA opened up and get it maxed out. I also like the idea of the 529 account. As you all know, I just opened up a 529 account for my nephew. He was just born a month or two ago now, and I put $3,000 into it, and I'm gonna invest $150 every month from his birth now up to age 18, and that account should have around $95,000 inside of it by the time he turns 18 and is ready to go to college. And again here, here's the kicker. If he doesn't want to go to college, that's totally fine. I can take $35,000 of that $95,000, roll it over into a Roth IRA for him, and now he has $1.4 million after adjusted for inflation when he turns 65 to retire off of, right? That's generational wealth. That's what we're talking about here. And that's just 35 of the 95. The other 60 could be used for other college expenses for his siblings. So I like the 529 account. I also like the retirement. I think this person, Alyssa here, is definitely thinking in the right direction, and I'm really, really excited for them. Let's go on to question number two, Gloria S. Love the podcast. My husband and I are both doctors, and the only debt we have is our house, 3% interest. Congrats. We've been saving our money inside of a traditional checking account, but we're going to move it to a high-yield savings account. We don't have Roth IRAs yet, and I'm a bit nervous about messing up the backdoor Roth IRA given our income. What should we be doing with all of this extra income considering we're child-free? Should we get a financial advisor? This question is incredible because, one, you are essentially a dink, right? Dual income, no children. 
And I think you mentioned in that message that you are child-free by choice, so good for y'all. Get your bag, go have some fun, do the travels, do, do whatever you want to do, right? That's awesome. I think in this instance, getting a financial advisor is going to be a really good idea, right? For most people, financial advisors don't make sense until they have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to be invested. You all are probably making that much money in a year, let alone can be able to invest that towards some sort of strategy like in 6, 12, 18 months. So I really think a financial advisor, finding a good financial advisor is a good idea here because not only are they going to be able to map out your financial picture from an income perspective, an investing perspective, but they're also probably going to share with you an idea of sort of this, this bridge account is what I like to call it. Now, a bridge account is just a loose term here for a traditional online brokerage. Think public.com or a Robinhood or you know anyone can go open up a little traditional brokerage account, normal taxable brokerage account. And how I think about these accounts is in how they fit into my personal strategy. You're 40 and you all are probably making combined four to $600,000 per year salary. And you probably now have the ability to invest 100, maybe 200,000 of that per year. And unfortunately, you can only invest up to call it 50,000 between the two of you toward your 401ks every year and another 12,000 between the two of you to your Roth IRAs every year, right? That leaves a lot of money, $100,000, $150,000 per year that you're sitting on that needs to be working for you that's not working for you yet because you can't put them legally into these retirement accounts. So in that instance, go to a public.com, go to a Fidelity or a Robinhood, deposit this $50,000, $150,000 per year and begin investing it thoughtfully into what matters to you. So for me, I would invest that toward income generating stocks. Think the ETF SPYI. It'll pay you 1% every single month or 12% distribution yields a year. Or maybe you want to invest that into something that's really thematic that you believe in like climate change or electric vehicles or something else, right? So I would definitely think about a bridge account. But Robert, I want to hear your take. Yeah, in this situation, I always recommend having a financial advisor. I would always recommend a fiduciary, so keep that in mind. You want to have an advisor that has your best interest in mind, and you want to make sure that those fees are nice and low so the money is all going to you. But you have to look at it from a holistic standpoint. It's not just about what you make. It's about what you keep. And in this instance, with you both being high earners, the key here is having someone that's going to give you the proper tax strategies, the proper retirement strategies, so you understand the best overall way for you to build the wealth you desire. And that comes with all of these various strategies. So you might want to consider having a real estate portfolio because this will help you offset some of your earnings as well. Because at the end of the day, there's more to just what you make. It's about having the strategies that you put around that to create the most wealth for you and your husband. What a beautiful answer, Robert. That was great. That was great. All right, our last question comes from Ivo. Ivo says, I'm loving the podcast. Since we can't out-invest high-interest debt, should I take out a 401k loan to pay off my high-interest debt? This question always throws me off because I would never want to tell anyone to borrow from their future, right, 401k retirement, to pay off a mistake that they can simply work harder, side hustles, overtime, things like that, aka pay off debt. Um, 
to put themselves in a better financial position. I want people and their money to be working for them. I want compound interest. I want, you know, it's time in the market, right? That's what's so important here. However, I am definitely empathetic to a situation where I don't know this guy's situation, right? This is all we got from the DM, but maybe he is $30,000 in credit card debt at 30% APR. That's $9,000 a year in interest he's paying on those credit cards. At that point, I think that would make sense, right? If you have the funds to say, let me borrow this 30K off of my 401K, put it now to pay off this high interest debt, and then make sure I pay back that 30,000 during the specified amount of time so I'm not paying fees, I'm not paying interest, I'm not you know, actually taking this as a withdrawal, I'm not getting hit with taxes, right? Actually follow the rules and pay the money back. I don't really see anything wrong with that. However, that's not reality for a lot of people. They take out the loan. They feel, oh, no, it's great. It's gone. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Oh, my retirement, whatever. That'll figure itself out. And that's the reality a lot of people unfortunately take. So it really depends on this person's situation. I wish I had more information. But Robert, what's your perspective on this? I couldn't agree with you more. In most instances, I say absolutely not. Do not borrow against your future. But the opportunity cost here might make sense depending on what that loan would look like from the 401k. Um, so in this instance, I would say flush out the details. What are the terms? And if they're favorable, where that positive arbitrage of paying it off with this loan is in your favor, then I would say do it. But like Austin said, you have to make sure you pay it back timely and per the contract, because otherwise you will have penalties and fees and you could end up in a worse spot than where you started. End up in a worse spot than where you started. Want to just emphasize that, right? Because we know the taxes and penalties and all that stuff. You're going to end up with half the amount of money. It's very, very bad if things go wrong here. So just please keep that in mind. Everyone, thank you all so much for listening to the Rich Habits Podcast this week. If you have a question, don't forget, send us a DM on Instagram at Rich Habits Podcast. If you've not yet joined our Discord group, Rich Habits Podcast Discord, there's a link in the show notes below. You click the link, you download the Discord app, and now you're a part of hundreds of other people inside this growing community. We're talking to each other. We're giving feedback on episodes. We're suggesting new episodes. It's, it's a really, really cool community. Be sure to join that. You can maybe meet some like-minded people. And also don't forget, we have the four module video course, the Rich Habits Wealth Building Blueprint, where we talk about earning more income, paying off your debt, building your credit and investing for the future. There's also a link to that in the description as well. Love it. And thank you all from the bottom of my heart and Austin's heart for always supporting us in the Rich Habits podcast and community. So if you love the podcast, please leave us a great rating. Share with a friend, share with your barber, your aunt, your uncle, anyone you can. We're working hard here to bring you great information every single week in the Rich Habits podcast and community. Oh, and last call out. This episode, the Alphabet Soup Idea acronym here, this was suggested to us in an email. Someone sent us a Rich Habits podcast at Gmail email, and this is what they suggested like three days ago. And Robert were like, oh my gosh, we have to make this episode. So if you have an episode suggestion, let us know. We might make it. Thanks, everyone. Have a great start to your week.